0: Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Sarah Landry. She spent nine years as a follower of Netanyahu, a self-styled Swami, and she became one of the most public representatives of the group in 2011 when she started a YouTube channel on which she shared his teachings. And due to the channel's huge popularity, Nitanyanda brought her into his inner circle of public disciples and declared her the head of his social media team. But after discovering that devoted followers were being mistreated and made to live in squalor at their own great expense, somehow for their spiritual benefit, and that kids in the organization's schools were being beaten and sleep-deprived and starved, she quietly exited and began researching cults last year. And now, she's coming forward to publicly denounce the group as a destructive cult. In part one of my conversation with her, she started to tell her story and how she got involved, and how things slowly started to become clearer and clearer to her, And she also started talking about the choker, the necklace that everyone needed to wear with Netanyahu's picture on it. During this episode, she talks more about the necklace, and I can't wait for you to hear that part of the story. It's very powerful. But she also talks more about how she left. And it is so valuable, not only to hear her story, but to know that she is speaking out and that others are speaking out about this group. You can find their interviews online as well now, and it's all very exciting, and it's all very troubling to hear what people have experienced in this group and what they are continuing to experience. Here's Sarah now. I wanted to say two other things before we continue, because I want to hear how you left, and then also what's happened since. There's something very sweet about these kids feeling that they could open up to you. There is something that you presented to them emotionally, or th- there was a sense of safety that they could share this. And thank goodness they did, because then it sort of blew the doors open on what was happening. And then I'm sure they could feel some relief knowing an adult knew about their pain and their suffering. And, and then the other part is when you were talking about the kids lifting up their eyebrows and holding the paper at a certain angle, et cetera, you know, when, when people are angry at kids for cheating or lying mm-hmm. so often they go immediately to this punitive place where they right. right they get them in trouble for cheating or lying. And when I've come to Understand is that there's this missing piece there. Where I think if you say to a child who, let's say, cheated on something, what are you worried about? Yeah. What do you think would happen to you if you failed this test? Like, what is your motivation for cheating? And also, what would happen to you if you told the truth? What was your motivation for lying? Is it safe for you to fail something? Is it safe for you? to tell the truth. And if not, of course, it's our survival mechanism that kicks in and it's incredibly intelligent. And also just evolutionarily speaking, just the right thing for them to do, to side with each other and to band together and to come up with a story together and to to cheat together, just to help to protect their brothers and sisters in this organization and also to save themselves. But then, you know, you can then be punished for behaving that way. But you were put in that situation where you had no choice. Exactly.
1: It's a really interesting, um, complex moral situation. Yeah. You can't really fault. I-, I agree with you. It's not their fault that they cheated because if they hadn't cheated, who knows how many more days they would have been sleep deprived or how many more buckets of water would have been poured on them or how much longer they would have been starved you know, when the kids told me about all of this, like I couldn't, like I started to cry because I was one of the most public spokespeople for this organization. And I had encouraged parents to bring their kids to the guru pool because I believed this is a stress-free environment. And the biggest irony here is that he tells us Western schools make kids Um, afraid of failure and put exam pressure and that doesn't happen in his school and here these kids have suffered something way more extreme way more damaging than you know exam anxiety Mm -hmm. here kids are being beaten we're told that you know his whole organization runs on um, the Vedic concept or the Sanskrit principle of ahimsa which is nonviolence. and to find out that it's actually being Driven by fear and violence was just shocking.
0: It is shocking, especially if he was talking about it And this is sort of this false correlation that I'm sure happened a lot that you know He's talking about people having nightmares because of their Western Education. No, not necessarily. I mean, we've all have the dream of showing up for our exams and we never attended class and whatever else right, but It's not because of the Western education. And also, if he's so concerned about people having nightmares, he's providing them nightmares during the day.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I I used to have nightmares where, you know, I was late for my final exam or, I mean, my most recurring nightmare is that I get called back to high school because I failed something and they accidentally gave the high school diploma, but it wasn't meant to be given. (sighs) Um, I haven't had that nightmare since. Now I have nightmares that I'm getting called to a private meeting with Swami G. and, mm-hmm. you know, somebody mm-hmm. missed morning routine and it's my fault because I was supposed to wake them up. And it's, it is really ironic that he's replacing, um, you know, one difficult, stressful situation with something far, far worse. Right. But because he Preying on people's desire to get out of one difficult situation, it's like they have Stockholm syndrome. They are defensive of an abusive environment and they say that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also fearful that if they say anything other than that, it's Guru Droha. And then even Lord Shiva can't save.
0: Them. Okay. Okay.
1: But I want to mention, sorry, something that you had said that these kids felt safe to speak to me. Before they told me their stories, they asked, are you approved as a Guru kulacharya? Are we allowed to talk to you about anything? Mm,
0: mm-hmm. And
1: I said, yes, because I was approved as a Guru kulacharya, which means um, I had the designation of being one of the few adults the kids can talk to. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's not that they trusted me immediately as a safe adult to confide in. It's that Finally, they found an adult who has approval that they can talk to who's also willing to listen to them. So it was a really specific niche that I fell into at that point.
0: Right. How lucky.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just a couple of days earlier, the little girl had her 13th birthday Mm -hmm. and we celebrated her birthday. I made them all um, chocolate chip pancakes. (laughs) And it was the first time they had eaten anything like that in years Mm -hmm. um, because we weren't allowed to eat flour or yeast or sugar. So imagine trying to make a birthday cake with no flour, no yeast, no sugar, no eggs, no milk. And I'm still a vegan. I, I still believe in animal rights, but um I think it should be done properly with the right protein and the right nutritional balance. Right. I found rice flour and I found like a, a yeast free version of baking powder and sugar free chocolate chips. So I did the best I could for her. And I think that was endearing enough to the kids that they felt like, okay, here's a grown-up who gets
0: us. Yeah. And it's very maternal also in its yeah. own way, right? Yeah. You were caring for them. And then I think they felt that you would care about their feelings too. I mean, that it's a really lovely thing that you provided. Um, just a quick question about the organization now, and then I want to come back to your story. Yeah. And what is the size of the organization now? What's happening now? And then we'll come back. I don't know the exact
1: size of the organization because they have always over-exaggerated their numbers. So he used to brag in his discourses that he has millions of followers worldwide. Um, Whereas in reality, there were about a thousand centers around the world tuning in with, you know, between five and a hundred people per center. Um, So it was more like, you know, a few tens of thousands of people at most. Mm -hmm. And anybody who has ever downloaded one of his meditations or watched one of his YouTube videos even, they count those as his followers. Uh, So his social media followers are considered his followers. So they'll say he has more than this many hundred thousand followers. But in reality, it's just that many people clicked on a video. We don't even know if they watched the video. Interesting. At the time that I left, there was an average of about a thousand people a year attending his December programs. There were about three to five hundred people residentially living in his compound. Um, and, you know, maybe worldwide, I, I would estimate maybe 5,000 people who were on a daily basis worshiping him through his pictures and watching his discourses and wearing the necklace with his picture on it and calling themselves his disciples. Um, somebody sent me a, a message just a couple of days ago saying that. One month ago, he had an average of a 1,000 likes per day on his Facebook status update. And as of now, it's about 300. So we, it's gone down to less than 50% of, of people following him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it's because not only I've spoken out against him, but um, I'm kind of the lightning rod for, for his anger. Like they're, they're doing a major character assassination against me.
0: Oh, yes. I definitely want to talk about that. I want to I want to have you talk about how you left and what it was like to leave if you don't mind and then we can get into that but I think you know, just by you using phrases I wrote down that he sent you pornographic pictures on Facebook Messenger, right? So, I mean, that's enough, right, to just already think this is probably not the most spiritual community. But, uh, and it's jarring, even as you're you're hearing somebody say that, that here this is this enlightened being who is doing something like this. And I'm sure there are more stories like that. Um, and because, you know, with in the essence of a limited time that, you know, you're having to pare down all of the things that did happen, but so what was the impetus finally for you to go? The kids.
1: It's when the kids told me about the December 31st beatings. I feel like I really failed those kids, to be honest, because when they told me about the beatings, I asked, what did your parents have to say? And they told me that they were told telling their parents or telling any, any adult other than a Guru Kulacharya was Guru Droha. And so that's why they told me everything because I was a Gurukul Acharya. Had I told them, no, I don't have approval to talk to Gurukul kids, they wouldn't have shared. It, it was the first time in my years of devotion to Nityananda that I said, well, they told you it's Guru Droha to tell your parents, but nobody told me it's Guru Droha to tell your parents. So I'm calling your parents right now and telling them they have the right to know this. And when I said that, One of the other ladies who was staying in our house, who was the head of the European part of the organization, she burst out of her bedroom. It turned out she had been listening in to the whole conversation. And she took my cell phone out of my hands and said, I have to really caution you against doing that. If Swamiji told them not to tell their parents, it's for a reason. Um, Who are you to judge an an instruction given by the master, don't get involved in this. You've heard the kids. Now what you should do is report it internally and ask how we can give these kids completion because they're obviously incomplete about what happened to them.
0: Mm.
1: So instead of following my immediate gut instinct and calling their parents, I sent a message to Nityananda's chief secretary. And I mean, I've had people questioning me, um, why didn't I contact him directly? And it's because at that time, his Facebook page was disabled. He had disconnected his account. Hmm. And I think it's because that's while he was traveling into South America. So he didn't want his location Um, to be traceable.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So I did the next best thing. I wrote to his, uh, a lady, Ranjita, the same actress who was seen um, in a sexual position with him so many years earlier that I should have taken as a red flag and left. She is now his topmost disciple. She shares his bedroom. Um, the name she was given is Manatiananda Mahi Swami. Um, she basically heads the whole organization. Um, nobody can make a decision unless it's approved or disapproved by her. So she's been put in the biggest power position. I sent her a message and said, These two kids in Toronto told me about the December 31st beatings. They are traumatized. How can we help them complete with this suffering? And she wrote back and said, What December 31st beatings? And I knew she would have known exactly what they were. She was just flat out denying that the incident ever happened. Um, So she told me, tell me verbatim, to the best of your ability, what did the kids tell you? That's when I should have stopped, but I still, I wasn't deprogrammed yet. I was still a full brainwashed, participating member of that organization. Um, So when she asks you something, you answer, you tell her what she wants to know. Um so I, I typed up the entire conversation with the kids sent it to her and she said okay thank you I'll I'll bring this to Swami ji's awareness we'll we'll tell you what to do don't do anything as of now we'll tell you what to do and the next morning before when I woke up in the morning I asked um, my housemates where are the kids and I was told oh no they're they guru cool uh, mentor loaded them into a taxi and took them to the airport this morning they were told not to talk to you. And that was the last time I saw these two kids. And so they were immediately sent back to headquarters in India. Um, I did contact their parents. Um, the mother of the boy said, yes, the kids are traumatized. Um, a lot of them don't wanna be there anymore. She took her son back to New York, but she still heads one of the local chapters of the organization there. Um, So the kid is not physically in the school anymore, but his mother is still a spokesperson for the school. She still advocates it. And the parents of the little girl, um, when I told them what she had told me, um, in return, her father made a YouTube video saying, how dare um, this abusive Sarah Landry talk to my daughter without permission from the parents? Who does she think she is talking to a child without parental consent? And I mean, I I have videos I made with that man and his kids saying she's like a big sister to them. So it's ridiculous. Instead of, you know, owning that the abuse happened to his daughter and investigating and and helping her, the top priority for people in that organization is saving face. Like don't say anything or do anything that makes the guru look bad. Mm -hmm. So it's sad, like in a way, it's good that they told me what happened because now I can speak out against that school and maybe um, discourage parents from sending their kids into that toxic environment. Um, But unfortunately, there's not really much you can do for kids if their parents know the abuse happened and they're defending it.
0: You know, it says so much about how much people are, um, are ready to admit or to see um and also that if this father and I can't speak about him directly i don't know him at all but if any parent kind of defends what happened uh or is skewering the person who is the whistleblower then i think that they are really saying um i i'm not ready to see that i put my child in this position um because it's it it feels like neglect and it's really horrifying to a parent and unfortunately kids can sense that that their parents are just not able to take in their emotions their experiences and handle them and instead they get sort of pushed away like they're the problematic ones they're the squeaky wheels and uh you know when you've had trauma and then you get blamed and then you get isolated and you know it leads to a lot of serious depression actually
1: absolutely absolutely and I, I mean a lot of the kids in that organization are visibly depressed and you know another thing that the guru says he says that psychiatry is the greatest evil on the planet um that Going to a therapist, he said, therapist, if you break down the word, it's the rapist, they will psychologically rape you. So he discourages people from going for professional help and sets himself up as if he is the only one on earth qualified to help somebody with a psychological problem. So, you know, he has spoken out against pharmaceuticals, um, which is ironic because he himself, like a One of the other whistleblowers who hasn't come forward yet told me that um, he once saw a bottle of Viagra on this master's nightstand. So he talks against the pharmaceutical industry, but he's on heart medication, and he's on diabetes medication, and who knows which other pills he's taking. Mm -hmm. Um, But he tells other people that if they take medication, it's an incompletion. They should be able to heal their body through yoga and meditation and super consciousness Mm -hmm. he also finds clever ways to disguise the sleep deprivation Mm. Um, one of the one of the ancient powers described in the vedas which is like a source book of hinduism um, is the power to go beyond sleep it's called kutakesha and so he tells us, master the power of kutakesha. The only way you can experience kutakesha is if you break your sleep pattern. So don't fall into the laziness that tells you you have to lie down and sleep every day. It's it's not necessary. Um, and he tells us that as far as eating is concerned, there's a power called um, nirahara, going beyond food. So here are, you know... Sprawny people, not eating, not sleeping. They're sleep deprived. They've got huge black bags under their eyes, and they're making videos um, without smiling, without any radiance. Like it, it, they, they look like shells of their former selves. And they're saying, "I am so happy to follow His divine holiness, Bhagwan Paramahamsa Sri Nityananda Swami," and. I condemn this Sarah Landry for trying to lead people to hell by speaking against my guru. Like I've, I've had people sending me the videos they've been making these days and it's sad. Uh, it's, it's like trying to refute what I've said. He's proving what I've said by making them do these videos, um, including kids and including adults and the way he's attacking me. The first thing that he did was he quoted a Hindu intellectual called Rajiv Malhotra, um, who is basically a, an academic activist for for Hinduism in universities for equal representation. So, Rajiv, I think he's based in Princeton. He has given talks in places like Harvard and Stanford and different Ivy League schools, um, showing that the the faculties of religious studies usually it's a christian person teaching Mm -hmm. christian theology and usually it's a jewish person teaching um the history of the abrahamic faiths and in hinduism's case it's usually either an atheist or a christian teaching it as mythology so he's Mm -hmm. saying you know give hinduism the benefit of the doubt if others if other religions get to be called history And that makes sense, I still, I agree with him. But he's created one thing called the U-turn theory, which examines Western people who become Hindu and different Hindu organizations, yeah. um, who become disgruntled and go back to their original faith and start talking out against Hinduism, saying it's demonic, it's evil, it's bad, this organization abused me. Um, And I I was actually friends with Rajiv when he attended programs in India. We had a really good um, rapport because I I find his theories fascinating. And I've I've always kind of had an intellectual curiosity about stuff. So the first attack that the organization did against me was saying, you know, don't listen to, they call me dirty laundry. It's a play on words of the name Sarah Landry. Um, You know, dirty laundry is a typical... U Turner, she's rejected Hinduism, she's gone back to her original beliefs, and now she's an anti Hindu element. So they've left me in the same category as previous whistleblowers, anti Hindu element. And it's ironic because I I haven't gone back to the Catholicism I was raised with. I still feel a a love for Hinduism more than any other religion. That hasn't really changed. It's Mm -hmm. more like I recognize that this is a destructive cult. Within Hinduism, or or trying to claim ownership of Hinduism,
0: right?
1: And somebody has even reached out and asked Rajiv to comment. Okay, is this a U-turn? And he said, I don't have enough details to determine that. Okay. And here he's a man who was a very devout follower of Nityananda. I take his silence as telling. You know, they're they're trying to attack me using his theory, um, but even he's not saying that this is a case of of that theory okay
0: okay you know i i wanted to say that there is there's something also so juvenile about calling you dirty laundry oh
1: my god i know right <laughs> my book hasn't commented on that saying everybody in our family got called laundry at some point
0: right i mean, like okay really how original you know Um, but also how juvenile, how, you know, just getting mad in the sandbox kind of feeling it has about it. sure. It doesn't raise the bar on their argument against you. It lowers it. And if that
1: lowers it, get ready to hear even lower because that's the most intellectual of their character assassination attempt. Wow. Um, they have also called me racist and said that I'm, um, the post where they called me racist they said here comes the white racist savior of the hindus and they spelled hindu h-i-n-d-o-o and they made a caricature of me um with a a pipe out of my mouth and the lasso in my hand as if i'm a a wild wild west kind of renegade racist trying to you know um discriminate against hindu people and i'm not a racist i'm i'm and in fact, I don't feel the need to denounce Hinduism or save Hindus from Hinduism. I feel more the need to warn everybody about this destructive cult yeah. that usurped Hinduism and, and what is actually being done to people. The brainwashing right. machine um, follows the Scientology model. And early on, Nityananda gave his first group of teachers Dianetics and told them, we're going to do the same thing L. Ron Hubbard did, only we're going to do it the Hindu way. So he made no effort to hide that original intention.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's pretty blatant, actually, right there.
1: And what's hilarious is that a lot of his defenders were telling me, um, after seeing my interview with Ron Miscavige, they said, you're, you're making shit up. He never praised um, Scientology, you know, how can you say that? Because these are newer people who weren't around oh, in this said that. Yeah. So he he has really done me a big favor because recently, about a week ago, in a satsang, he said, you know, these racists and are doing a religious persecution against me, and it's the same racists who are persecuting against Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard did so much good for humanity. How can anybody say Scientology is a cult? as much as scientology is a cult i'm a cult and it's like okay well then <laughs> right on Glad the you top, said it uh-huh. <laughs> and, and one of my friends recorded and i'm paraphrasing of course but um because i don't want them to call me on the technicality and he say he well what he actually said was right
0: but basically the message was that yes that was
1: the gist and yes and the good okay. thing like, one of my friends was audio recording that discourse oh thing. uh-huh um, his technical team deleted that from the version that actually got uploaded.
0: So interesting. Right. Well, that's smart of them. But anyway, so in the style of the response and the content of the response, Mm -hmm. they're underscoring the message. They are proving what's wrong and they're kind of proving you right. And I think people don't quite realize that that's what they're doing a lot of the time. And it's reminding me of something that we had talked about, about when I Uh, did this podcast interview, actually one, and then we did a follow-up one uh, with a man who's a therapist who was raised in South Africa during apartheid. And it was a non-political conversation. It was just about being raised with certain ideas at an early age and how you get indoctrinated, how it stays with you and how you want to be careful about the messages that you give, especially children, uh, and who you make them afraid of and how divisive it can be, and also how longstanding it can be uh, from generation to generation. And then that was the first bunch of hate mail that I got and Facebook messages and negative reviews on my professional Facebook page saying this person doesn't know what she's talking about. She wasn't raised in South Africa. Anyone going onto my professional Facebook page would say, what? Like, what, what is that person saying? Uh, yes, I, yes, she wasn't raised in South Africa. What does it have to do with anything? And um, it was fascinating. So we did a second show where we went over the the mail that we got. Yeah. But it showed, it showed how there was this vitriol and this knee-jerk reaction. And it was going from generation to generation. And there was an assumption that we had also said things that we hadn't said, but that's what they heard. And that's when you know someone has gone into this sort of automatic way of thinking without really taking in what's really happening and what you're really saying and what you're not saying. Absolutely. it's, it's, it was fascinating for me to see that, but also fascinating to see that they weren't aware of how much they were. They were sort of, yeah. Saying, yes, she's right. She's right. This this guy who she's interviewing is exactly right. This is what happens.
1: Yeah. So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Thank you. No, it just, it just reminds me of Trevor Noah. I I haven't read his book, but he wrote a book called born a, I'm talking about being in an interracial family during apartheid. And yeah, it's, it's just when people don't listen to what you're actually saying, they will try to demonize you based on what they assume you're saying if it conflicts with what they believe. Right. And this is what's happening now by the whole Nityananda Sangha. Mm. And I know from my experience there, everything they're saying to attack me is carefully orchestrated by Nityananda himself. Um, Throughout my entire time there as a sannyasi, whenever somebody criticized him online or um, made fun of him, whether it was a a simple comment on something of his saying, you know, this is silly, this is stupid, this isn't authentic Hindu, or whether it was something more grave like filing a rape charge against him, Mm -hmm. he would gather everybody together in his courtyard and tell us we're going to war go to this person's profile, start, um, start flagging the profile as fake, let's get them kicked off Facebook, let's get their YouTube video taken down. And he even had a team called, at first it was called the Smash Team, and later it was called um, ACR, the Abusive Content Removal Team. And he would appoint people on these teams, and also the Trishul team, he had three different teams for this, where he would instruct people On specifically how to assassinate somebody's character and you know one of the most famous examples of this there's a lady named teal swan Mm -hmm. who you know arguably also a cult leader um she wrote a book called the completion process wow and nithyananda was insulted because he felt that he invented and owned yeah the the words completion process because that was his teaching Mm -hmm. so he told me he called me specifically and he directly told me, start looking her up, find as much dirt as you can find on this, this teal swan and make a video and attack her. And he said, use 80% facts. You know, prove that she stole the completion process from me. Prove that she's a plagiarist. Find any information you can and prove that she is a fraud. And then 20% of the video, just attack her character. Baseless accusations baseless things and tell her to change the title of her book And if she doesn't in one week make another video 80% character attack 20% back and I wrote it down. I know he said 80 20 then 20 80 So I did I attacked teal swan without knowing anything about the woman. I just started googling um And I had to report back to him. He called me the next day before I made the video. And he said, okay, tell me, what did you find out about Teal? And I mean, other people in his cult would have said I was so blessed. I had this personal assignment from him and I was called to his courtyard and he was speaking to me one-on-one. But I told him, okay, well, I found out, you know, she's been divorced three times, about to be divorced for a fourth time is the gossip. And he started laughing, ha ha ha, she teaches relationships, but she's divorced stupid, like, okay, put that in your video, put that in your video. And, you know, I I kind of felt like a, like a sleazy yellow girl that's doing this, you know, digging into somebody's past. And just because my guru was, was egotistically injured that she's titling her book, something that he thinks he owns. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I've come across a lot of forums where people feel they've been hurt by this lady's teaching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That doesn't justify making fun of her personal traumas or, you know, attacking, attacking her without even knowing her, which is what I was instructed to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The way that his current followers are attacking me, I know the way that machine works. It is his personal direction and he thinks this is going to silence me. And I, I think it's kind of funny. Teal's book got published by Hay House under the title, The Completion Process, um, despite his bullying and harassment. And he even had the legal team send her a cease and desist letter saying she can't use that title, but she went ahead and did it anyway. Uh-huh. Now it I did. think that's pretty cool. And in the same way, I'm going to keep going ahead anyway, speaking out against his human rights violations and his sexual predatory nature. and you know, all the narcissistic tendencies that I, I observed in him. Um, and the more they the more they make fun of me and demonize me and criticize me, the more I feel the need to keep pushing back against them because mm-hmm. otherwise it's letting a bully win. Mm-hmm. They have, they've created a meme or not a meme because it hasn't gone viral, but they made a doctored image of my face morphed into um, a demon face. Like they've uh-huh copied and pasted features from, I think this thing was called Blue Whale. There was some kind of a, of an intranet um, suicide-packed website that this guru used to speak against where um, it tells people, unless you kill yourself, this demon is going to attack your family. So they have, they've taken a picture of me and put the features of that demon onto it. And he has announced to his whole organization, anybody who listens to me is going to die. So that's their latest spin is that um, he said that he is leading people to Kailasa, which is like Hindu heaven, not Hindu heaven. I don't want to sully Hinduism with this, but it is.
0: Right.
1: The the abode of Lord Sadashiva and his wife, Parvati. And Nityananda uh, complains, claims, proclaims, proclaims is what I'm Uh for.
0: It does sound like he complains a lot too, but yeah, go ahead.
1: That's probably a good Freudian slip. He he complains that anybody who follows him is going to Kailasa and anybody who follows me is going to hell. And it's it's ironic because they've called me cult leader, Sarah, starting a cult of anti-cults. They've accused me of being a fanatic against cults. And the reason is they claim that I'm trying to start my own cult. Um, They found a a Catholic bishop in Germany um, who I was connected to for under a year because he reached out to me through my YouTube videos asking me about Hinduism. He told me that he wanted to unite Hinduism with Christianity and work together to create an organization that brings the two together. But later I determined he himself was kind of crazy and trying to start his own cult because he said that I was a mother of unity and people had to worship me and he wanted photos of my feet. So that's a whole other story. Okay. Um, I denounced that group in late 2013 after I realized, wait a minute, this is stupid. So they have pulled up old pictures of me with that Catholic bishop. And they're saying, see, she's U-turning. She's going to Catholicism now. She's trying to bring people to worship her which is stupid, that, that's something I denounced a long time ago, um, but they're showing those pictures and claiming that they're current.
0: I mean, it's another example. I mean, there's, uh, there's a quote I'm looking for, I don't know if I can find it right now, but it's, um, supposedly it's by Socrates, but it's basically the idea is that um, the attacks become personal. Oh,
1: when the debate is lost. Yeah. Um, the Lucy Party resorts to
0: character assassination. Right, that's basically the gist. Right, because there's no material, there's no factual material to use against you, so they'll just dig into like your private life or or make claims about you and whatever else that they think is going to defame you in people's eyes and whatever else they think is going to hurt you.
1: That's laughable because really, having been a part of that cult for so long, um, if you ask me how I escaped. I, I don't want to move on until I finally answer that question. Oh, okay. Um, it's relevant here. So the the house I was in in Toronto, the the kids were sent back to the Gurukul the day after they confided in me, and the adults were all called back to the Indian campus. Also, we were told everyone in Kavi, so everyone in the Saffron Cloth, including people who had lived in Toronto for a couple of years running the temple there, mm-hmm. we were all told go immediately back to India.
0: Okay.
1: So. Um, They'll jump all over this one and say dirty laundry is a liar, but I I lied and said my visa's expired. I need a new visa, so I can't go back immediately. And instead of booking a ticket back to India, I booked a ticket back to my home province. Um, put on Western clothes again and stayed off Facebook for a month. Like I I didn't answer anybody's questions. I turned my cell phone off, threw the threw the little card in the garbage so that they couldn't reach me and told my mom you know I think this thing was a cult I'm done with it um I was really blessed that Anne and showed a marathon of Leah Remini's Scientology in the aftermath and I caught myself relating with everything everybody in that program was saying. like oh yeah oh the whole that's sacred arts um you know, right. being made to wear black clothes, and not talk to anybody. Oh, that's bias cheetah. Like I, I could see how everything that was done to those people was being done to us. And we wouldn't have thought it's a cult because we're not being told um, this is the model for making people obedient, um, indentured slaves. We're told this is Hinduism.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: Really as a strange cycle because you think that you're experiencing culture shock when in reality it's it's your your inner self rejecting this indoctrination process
0: right so what did you do i mean here you were you told your mom and you're watching Le Remini, and then yeah you yeah know, you're used to i mean i guess what i mean is mm-hmm. to, in terms of healing but also you were used to being very busy doing a lot of things suddenly you're out and oh yeah I slept like 10 to 12 hours
1: a day for about a week. Um, You know, just, it felt like, uh, it felt like really extreme jet lag, but, you know, I think I didn't want to be awake and thinking about these things. Right, right. Um, And, you know, my mother, I, I had brought her into the organization. So she attended a lot of the programs and she said, well, you know, they definitely run it like a cult, but that doesn't mean Swamiji is bad, you know? Yeah, maybe it's people doing a bad thing. Okay. And so we were both kind of on the fence about whether, you know, maybe he made those kids get beaten to break their incompletions. They're going to be leaders of the future. So maybe they need this, you know, toughening up. We don't mm-hmm. know. We can't make any comment because that's Guru Droha. So let's, I, I went into, um withdrawal from the public eye I built my shop back up I have an Etsy store where I sell jewelry that I make and I just started being very focused on what do I want in life you know slowly like for the first four months after getting back like until about January of this year I left August of last year Mm -hmm. and it took me until January of this year to take off something called a kanta mala which is like a choker tight mala with Nityananda's picture right here and he told us that unless we were wearing that, ch- we had to wear 24 seven, like sleep in it, bathe in it, wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we cannot take it off, is what we were told. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we take it off, we lose his protection in life. So it's a really superstitious yeah, very. practice. There, there were a lot of superstitious elements to his cult. Um, so finally, one night I was chatting with a, a friend of mine after going back onto social media who had also left the organization. And I told her, I, I just feel like I'm still, I, I told her that I felt not like I was free, but like I was on a long leash. And at some point, if he reaches out to me in my inbox and calls me back, I might get sucked back in. And at the time, I should mention I had dreadlocks. We all had dreadlocks. It was mandatory. Um, everyone following him had to get dreadlocks. And so she told me, if you feel like you have to shave your head and take off all the jewelry, do it. Free yourself completely. Um, So in January, I finally took off the little necklace. And it's so strange because where his picture is in Hinduism, that's called the Vishuddhi Chakra, the throat center. Um, When I took it off, I felt like I could breathe again for the first time in a long time. And like he wasn't owning my my self-expression.
0: It's amazing. And I, mean,
1: I, I didn't go to see any, any therapists, but I started binge watching YouTube videos about cult deprogramming and just whatever was said in those videos, I tried to implement it for myself. And I, I spent about a week just watching those videos and one by one, like drenching my dreadlocks in a solution of um, hair conditioner and coconut oil, and then just working out all right. the knots. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle I didn't lose all my hair. It is
0: a miracle, actually. And why were dreadlocks important?
1: He said that in traditional agamas, the the Shaivite Hindu scriptures, those who are Shiva's putras, his inheritors, are described as jatadaris, people who have dreadlocks. And so if we wanted to be inheritors to Shiva's um, mystical, spiritual powers, we had to become jatadaris. And I mean, the the lies he tells in his organization, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but this is something that still strikes me as a red flag I should have paid more attention to. The night that he got dreadlocks was the night before a program in Thailand called Nithyanandoham. And I was in his bedroom because I was going to be on stage the next morning introducing the program to all the participants. Mm-hmm. And as I was having a meeting with him, there was a local Thai lady doing his dreadlocks. So one by one, she had like a crochet hook and she was matting his hair. And he had a team of people called Mahants and Shri Mahants, like the highest ups in his organization, um, were sitting on the floor of his bedroom just nodding together these fake hair extensions, these big giant dreadlocks for him. And, you know, I I was kind of laughing and said, so, Swamiji, you're getting dreadlocks. And he said, yes, Ma, um, it's going to be a big surprise for everyone tomorrow. And you also can get dreadlocks if you want. That was before everyone in his organization had them. Right, right. And he said, if anybody asks tomorrow, none of you say anything. Just say that these appeared on Swamiji's head. And I actually had the audacity to question, and, and I said, why do we have to pretend they just appeared when real miracles are happening? Like, can't we just say that we spent all night working on them? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that could be my predisposition towards honesty, but I was raised to believe that a lie is wrong. Um, so, and he just laughed and he said, if you don't want to say that, then don't say anything. Let them disappear appeared on Swamiji's head.
0: Right. Right. It's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So right. In retrospect, as it happens in relationships in families in a lot of different situations So you say, uh-huh. Oh yeah. Right. There was that. Oh, right. There was that moment too. And, and, but there's so much else going on Yeah. and then you were going to be on stage and, you know, you get kind of propelled into the next moment and then it's hard to hang on to what's happened in the past. I know we need to finish up, but I was just thinking, is there a, is there a, just kind of an, ending point that you want to be able to make and also to help people know where to find you if they want to find out more information about what you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think the end point I'd want to make is that
1: um, I'm extremely grateful to other people who are also getting out of his cult now and speaking up and sharing their stories. There's about um, three so far who have made their own YouTube videos um, about the the experience they had in that cult and why they chose to leave. And there's now a, a survivor's Facebook group that somebody else started who, when I first published my video speaking out against it, he was active in the, in the comment section saying, you're such a liar. How can you say this? Nityananda is Shiva. This is horrible. You're committing gurudroha. Um, when he actually watched that video, he realized he knew one of those kids. And he said he just started to cry and, and understood mm. the truth. So he he did a full turnaround um, and started this Facebook group called Nithyananda Cult Survivors Official. And it's not a place for people to learn about the cult abuse. It's really meant just for people who survived and got out of that cult. Um, it's like a support group. Okay. Um, but I'm really impressed to see there's over 100 people in there now sharing how they got out of the cult. Wow. And... You know, for anyone who's still on the fence, like, um, I'm getting a lot of private messages secretly from friends and relatives of people who are sannyasis for him right now, living in his monastic order, who are mourning the loss of their loved ones, saying, you know, they won't respond to my messages. Um, When they go to renew their visas, instead of coming back to their homes, they go to places like Nepal or Sri Lanka, where he has centers, because they're not allowed to go back to family. Um, and they're asking what should they do? Um, mm-hmm. So I think you as a, as a therapist who specializes in, in cult abuse, I, I think that all of those people should go talk to you, talk to other credited professionals, because we were all lied to and told that psychology is dangerous and abusive and it'll destroy you. But in my experience, all the professional um, advice that I've I've found online has helped me to get myself sovereignty back. And, you know, I don't mean to attack people. Like, I was falsely accused of raping two Gurukul kids. What? After speaking out, I told you they're doing a character assassination. So two of the people there have accused me of molesting them. They're both adults now. They claim that when they were kids, I took sexual advantage of them, which is not true at all. Um, And this is another thing that this cult does. Whenever somebody is a dissenter and speaks out against them, Mm -hmm. they weaponize the kids to make false
0: rape. Wow.
1: And because in India, it's a little bit more corrupt if they pay off the the Jew. I don't want to say anything against the judiciary system, but they they have found a way to silence people who speak out against them by filing false charges or making false statements online. So this this has been done to me. Um, A group of my close friends who were secretly speaking out against the cult, a guy who got sexually molested by the guru, um, a lady who saw the girls get trained to make fake rape accusations, um, a lady and her husband who brought their own son out of the Guru Pool when he told them about the abuse, and a man who was aware of all of this, talking to his friends, saying, Get out of this cult while you can. The five of them, a, a Facebook status update was made on this guru's main public figure page, mm-hmm. saying that an internal investigation revealed that they were all drug smugglers and that they created a drug smuggling ring in his ashram and they're going to face the law um, and get prosecuted. So they, they file false claims. Um, That post was since deleted and they're denying it. And they claim that I hacked their system and I put that post attacking friends. Um,
0: You know, it happens so often that the, these claims are made that are so out there that, you know, you think how do I even prove it or disprove it or anything else? I know it's so it's so crazy. I mean, I guess what I want to say, and then you can let people know your contact information if you want them to be in contact with you, but I, I want to say just in, in closing that y- you have a lot of bravery and the, the hard part is that it shouldn't take bravery. No. It should be that you get to get involved in uh, an organization and then you get to choose to leave it and that should be the end of the story. And that if you've had bad experiences, you should be allowed to tell them because you have the freedom to share that. But it just follows you because they can't um, let it go somehow that you've left, that you're living a good life. You know, I think also defaming you and, and, um, defaming your character is yeah. something that's going to underscore this message that when people leave it's because there's something wrong with them or now their life is bad since they've left
1: yeah and they have they have definitely claimed that they've they've said yeah all kinds of things like my business is a failure and all kinds of things that they think will hurt my feelings that just
0: yeah motivate me to say no this is how they destroy people and, and it, you know and in some ways it's a sort of strange compliment because They wouldn't be trying so hard if they didn't realize that not only do you have a lot of information from your own experience, but you have people who really connect with you and you connect with them and you're helping so many people. And that is not, in the rest of the world, that's seen as benevolent and to them, it's seen as a threat.
1: Absolutely.
0: Right. Okay. So how do people find you and, and connect with you if they would like to?
1: So I have a YouTube channel and it's just my name Sarah Stephanie Landry. Um that's where I post videos about this cult and my experiences and I might have some interviews coming up where um other people who escaped the cult are going to sit down with me the way we're sitting down together and and talk about their personal
0: experience. Okay. Well, I I thank you for all of your time and for the work that you're doing and I'm you know, I It's interesting because not that I was involved in it all, but I I am sorry that your experience wound up being the way it was that you had devoted so much to this organization and had become the voice and the face of the organization. And that shows something about how much it mattered to you and how much you cared. And, And then you were put in this impossible situation because it wasn't what as from what you're saying, it wasn't what it promised to be. And in fact, went so far afield that you couldn't then in good conscience do PR for it anymore. So I I think it's really good that your conscience guides you. and, um, And I hope to be able to talk to you again.
1: Me too. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. One more thing before you go. I know that Sarah's story covers a lot of ground, and I'm so glad that you got to hear part two today. It's so interesting to hear about all of these superpowers, so to speak, that people in cults supposedly have or have to have, and how they have to find a way, both the children and the adults, to try to prove to the leadership that they have them. It's a terrible situation to put people in because... These quote-unquote abilities are not humanly possible, so it's all too easy to fail and be ashamed and feel that you are less than and have to find a way around it. Like the kids who would sneak a peek under their blindfolds in order to actually see the words on the page but seem like they were reading while blindfolded because being in this group and being a devoted member was supposed to give you that superpower. I could talk about that for quite some time and maybe another time I will, but I do want to shift gears a bit and speak about what Sarah has been going through because of telling her story. Because she was such a prominent spokesperson for the group, then it is very embarrassing for the people in the organization and especially the leader to have her, the one who represented the group to the public, now exposing what she saw what she knows and what others were exposed to there and what she wants to be able to let the public know so that they can make a more fully informed decision about this organization. Cult leaders and controllers are experts at false and misleading defamatory backstories. In order for them to justify why you left them, and uphold the idea in people's minds that they are perfect, and there would therefore in that equation have to be something wrong with you, something troubled about you, something misguided, something evil or deranged or less than about you, if you have left them. It's just another form of the kind of quote we hear from abusive partners, like, well, fine, leave me. You're not lovable anyway. And no one would put up with you like the way I've put up with you. So what that person is really saying is I'm hurt. I just can't admit it. And I'm shocked that someone has seen through my facade. And I'm very frustrated that the person I'm with won't tolerate being mistreated by me anymore. I've actually been harassed as well as most people in this field. We help people who have left cult leaders and sometimes sociopaths and narcissists and controllers who unfortunately have very easily bruised egos and prove it by their harassment. And they're insecure. And frankly, I, I see that they have an emotional immaturity that causes them to misbehave. And their inherent feelings of entitlement do make them harass with abandon because they feel they will get away with it and they will have success in silencing their critics. And sometimes they do. It's best for my experience, for Sarah and all others to just stay focused on their message, even if it's not what people might be in favor of having to acknowledge or admit. And to ignore how people will routinely accuse you of somehow trying to make trouble as opposed to trying to prevent it or that you're doing this for your own gain people wouldn't go through this for their own gain those are once again predictable accusations those who are trying to defame you who know you personally also will know which kind of accusations will hurt you the most so They know what matters to you and what your ethics are and what you're most sensitive about. And that will actually help them craft the accusation against you for maximum emotional impact to you. If you know that, then you'll know how the accusations are actually quite predictable. And they're frustrated that they can't control you now or stop you from exercising your constitutional right of freedom of speech. Socrates said that when the debate is lost, slander becomes the tool of the losers. And when there are personal digs about your character rather than any kind of proof that you're wrong about the content of your message, then the people who are harassing you don't actually have any material to use against you and are grasping at straws in order to just hurt you. And that's when you want to And need to ignore it all if you know that what you're doing now is actually helping many, many people. I'm sure Sarah and others will not be surprised to know that I have received responses to her first interview that were personal digs. It's something that happens quite often with those who are sharing their experiences and pulling the curtain back so that the public can look in and see what's happening in a group or behind closed doors, something that the group or the leader has gotten away with for far too long. So as I will with all of my guests, I will protect her as much as I can and protect her reputation and make sure to put those comments in perspective for others who might be persuaded by them. And just so you know, and this is a little behind the scenes and trippy kind of information for all of you, I have clients right now whose job it is to defame me Whose job it is actually in their group to defame anyone who is trying to educate the public or to do counseling with people who have left their group. And these are people who are out emotionally and spiritually, but not necessarily physically from their group because. They still have to play along and uphold their responsibilities, so that they are not harassed themselves, so that they don't lose their families, so that they don't get attacked. They haven't let people know yet that they're planning to officially leave themselves because they know as soon as they do, their life is going to be hell, at least for a period of time. So there are times that I actually get private emails from people letting me know ahead of time that they feel wrong about what they're mandated to have to say and do. And then I see that they're posting something about me or about my guests. But I understand. And I'm glad that they told me ahead of time. And they feel terrible. But as of yet, they feel like they don't have a choice. You want to keep that in mind when you hear or read some of the defamatory remarks about me or about some of my guests. Some of those people are stuck and don't at all mean what they say and are put in a terrible situation to have to write something or do something that is truly against their conscience, at least for now. I hope one day they're able to break free, but I tell you this so that you can take some of those defamatory criticisms with a grain of salt, a huge grain of salt, and know they're coming from people who are just as trapped as Sarah once was talk to you next week. Indoctrination is available for download on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Please support indoctrination at patreon.com indoctrination. Subscribers receive bonus episodes, interviews, and other cool goodies. Send us an email at indoctrinationshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. And if you can't become a paid subscriber, I will be so grateful for any and all support that you show whether it's subscribing on SoundCloud, YouTube, or Patreon, or giving us a like on our Indoctrination Facebook page or following our Twitter and Reddit feeds. Thank you for keeping up with us and for keeping the show going. Until next time, Rachel.